Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. I had to take out my retainer here. I scared Holly a bit. It did. It just scared me. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, we're back, guys, with we another are back. episode of Scary Tales. And for those of you who uh, listened uh, two episodes ago, Carol was telling us all about her haunted trip to Spain, Barcelona. Yes. And she's got part de today for us dose dose oh i'm sorry do is french right. i believe <laughs> i learned french in school, not spanish <laughs> and if you want to see photos from the trip you can go on instagram and what's your daughter's no, handle no. <laughs> <laughs> i know she posts so many so many photos it's great um no so barcelona has just the most amazing history and all kinds of spooky areas um so yeah we're back with more scary stories part two the first story I'm going to talk about takes place at 43rd Francisco Geiner Street. Nice. I'm saying Geiner, not Diner Street <laughs> with a G. It is the first documented poltergeist case in Barcelona. Oh, okay. In 1935, early February, the Mendoza family were all in deep sleep when suddenly loud banging noises woke them up. <laughs> I bet they, they did. They certainly don't <laughs> don't live in a young building because no, that don't. wakes There's people up quite a bit. Paper thin walls. Yes. Yeah. Well, the father was working night shifts, so the oldest son got up to check out the apartment. And while he was going through the different rooms, drawers of all the dressers and cabinets started to fly open and come crashing to the floor. Hmm. I don't know what I would do if something like I that would be happened. So freaked out. I would be running from the apartment. Me I would not as well. go back. Yeah. Each neighborhood building had a designated watchman and the neighbors who had also heard the noise became very concerned and called the watchman over to investigate. However, just as the watchman entered the home, all noise ceased. So everyone went back to bed. Mm. Isn't that always the case? Yeah. I swear. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mechanic, my car was making crazy noise just yeah. this morning. Yeah. Well, a short while later, the father returned from work and again, the banging started back up along the walls. So... The police were called. And again, a search was done of the home and building. But the origin of the racket couldn't be determined because once again, all paranormal activity ceased. Hmm. I hate that because the ghosts want you to think that you're, they crazy. want you to look crazy. Yeah. And that's their, their whole plan. After a peaceful day and another peaceful night, the family assumed whatever happened was just a mystery and they were safe. The next evening, as they were entertaining their neighbors, they all witnessed a chair levitate, cutlery rising up in the air. See, this is why your silverware always has to be locked up. <laughs> That's right. You just never know. You never know. Yeah. The clock hands went spinning around and a lampshade in the living room also spun around. This totally sounds like Beetlejuice. Yeah. I always have that image in my the mind. You're the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Later reports said that some of the family members saw wispy shadows of white 
hover in corners of the apartment, and float through the hallways, bringing along icy cold temperatures. Did they happen to say how long they'd lived in the apartment when this started to happen? There wasn't many details given mm. on the history of the Mendoza family. Okay. Um, but like I said, you know, this icy cold temperature is a very common thing yeah. when there is paranormal activity. Yes. Despite the weather forecast saying there was no storm systems moving into the area, the home suddenly shook with violence as large amounts of hail rained down into the courtyard and pummeled the roof with chunks of ice. The family sought to file another police report and the station decided to place a couple of security guards by the door of their apartment building to keep any pranksters away because at this point they thought, well, it's probably just somebody... Messing with us. Yeah. Uh Just doing a prank and they run away when we come around. Mm -hmm. So the noises kept continuing, though, each night. And because of the large numbers of residents in the building who also heard everything, it brought much attention from the media. Mm -hmm. So this was reported widely on the media. But nobody could determine a logical reason why the Mendoza family was tormented. But later it was suspected their teenage son, who was very ill at the time, could have attracted unknowingly a poltergeist. Oh, okay. So it's a well-known theory that adolescents have a special uh, ability that they create paranormal disturbances as they typically go through, you know, the extreme up and downs of their emotions and hormonal changes. Isn't it usually around puberty? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So despite him getting better, though, the noises did not go away. The unwanted phenomenon continued until every last resident gave up and moved out of the building. Oh, my God. Nobody has reported paranormal activity since in the apartment or the building. Really? Not freaky. That is freaky. And how old was the kid, did it say? It was just a teenager. Just I don't a teenager. know. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, teenagers, you can't trust them, right? Because <laughs> you never know when they're going to poltergeist your house. Yeah, they're just a ball of energy. They are. That's why I was sent away to boarding school. Because <laughs> of the poltergeist? Because, yeah. I mean, why, why take chances? Why take chances with things and your valuable furniture and cutlery? I mean, yeah. I would no kidding. So one of the most amazing tourist attraction we got to see was the famous architect Gaudi's Sagrada Familia Cathedral. Oh, nice pronunciation. Oh, I don't know, but thank it's you. So cool. It is remarkable that the construction of this great masterpiece has been in the works for over 136 years. Wow. And it is still unfinished with ongoing construction. It was Gaudi's most cherished dream to see it completed. Gaudi tragically died in 1926, and it was thought he was on his way to see the Familia Sagrada construction after he attended church when he stepped out onto the street just as a tram came speeding around a corner. And he was dressed so shabby that people thought he was a homeless person. Without any ID, they took him to a hospital for the poor. No. So, you know, didn't get the best treatment there. No, I guess not. The following day, though, he was eventually recognized and supposedly taken to a better hospital, but he was past the point of any rehabilitation, and he passed away just three days later on June 10th. Mm. Gaudi was commissioned to design several homes in Barcelona and the famous Park Güell. The citizens all revered Gaudi, and his loss was mourned. He was buried in the crypt of his great work, the Sagrada Familia. Ten years later, though, the Spanish Civil War broke out and anarchists attacked the beautiful building, breaking in and setting fire to the workshop where Gaudi's plaster molds, many of his detailed building plans and tools were kept. That's rude. 
I know, very rude. They also broke into the crypt, but curiously left Gaudi's tomb unharmed. Instead, they damaged and raided the tomb of Gaudi's patron, Joseph Maria Bocabella, and it was rumored 12 other tombs located in the crypt. There is thought to have been 12 workers in total who died tragically working on the church, so perhaps they were also buried in the crypt. But other sources I researched confirmed it was just two tombs in the crypt, Gaudi and the patron Bocabella. Hmm. Okay. After this incident, people would report seeing strange floating blue lights around the Sagrada Familia Towers. And the building during the late evening hours also had eerie phenomenon and these strange blue, blue floating lights. Huh. Some people would compare that to like the orbs that are yeah. so popular yes, that people yes. see. Yep. Some think it might be the ghost of the patron Joseph Bocabella, whose spirit was disturbed when the tomb was raided. And others suspect Gaudi himself, who had striking blue eyes. Perhaps he was searching for his missing plans and tools. After all, he was obsessed with the building plans being completed. After the crypt was rebuilt and sanctified, no further reports of the lights have been seen by any witnesses. Disrupted their sleep. Mm -hmm. Ghost hunters and sensitives claim to have encounters with some of the workers who died at Sagrada Familia. One stating that a ghost of a man told him a stone fell on his head while he was working he died, knocked out unconscious. When he woke up, he was just really confused. He was not even aware he was dead. So now he just haunts the church. Hmm. His name is Pedro, which means Peter in Spanish. So I've heard this um, theory that sometimes if you get suddenly killed and there's not like a drawn out death process, you don't realize you're dead. At one point, are you are you just saying, well, wait a minute, these people can't hear me. Like, I, I don't know. It's just bizarre to me. It is like, how could you not know you're dead? I don't know. It's so weird. OK, we'll have to ask some kind of medium sometime. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I'm curious, too. <laughs> Another ghost who fell from a walkway and died often makes his presence known to visitors around the gift shop and other sensitives who can pick up on the energy say he just like follows them around the church. It's not oh, wow. weird. Yeah. There is some debate because of the stolen design plans as to whether the current aesthetics of the project remain true to Gaudi's original vision. The construction cost is estimated at a whopping $25 million per year. Oh, wow. Which is generated exclusively from generous private donations and ticket sales. Mm. I think it's really interesting that it's never received public or even charity or church funding. And I'm surprised. I would think they'd be really behind on their ticket sales with COVID because mm -hmm. I don't think they had the church open during those years. Someone is a very generous donor. Yes, someone's yeah. a very generous donor. In 2010, the nave and crypt was consecrated by Pope Benedict the 16th. I don't know. Sure. I don't know either. I'm not Catholic. X five one. Can you can you read your Roman numerals? X that's sixteen. Five, that's sixteen. I think so. Who also proclaimed the Sagrada Familia a minor basilica? So it's actually a basilica, not really a cathedral. What's a basilica? Do you know? I think it's just a a term given to a building. I don't know. Huh. I don't know what the differences are. Okay. The current projected year of completion is actually due on 2026 to coincide with the centennial of Gaudi's death. So we will see if they can get it all done. And I got to tell you, it's 
so beautiful. If you are in Barcelona, you have to visit the Sagrada Familia. I suggest going late in the afternoon, preferably after 4 p.m. because the sun will be positioned. So the light casts through the entire stained glass of the building. Mm, and beautiful. there's so many different colors. It It's truly awe-inspiring. You feel like in one corner, you're the building's on fire because it's this gorgeous oranges and mm. reds. And then in another part of the building, it's these greens and blues and oh, aquas. Pretty. And it's just this rainbow of color. Wow. And it's just awe-inspiring. That's go gorgeous. Also, mm. you can choose to go up in one of the towers if you are brave. There's a glass elevator that will take you up to the tallest tower. And from there, you can get out and walk across a narrow bridge that then leads you down a very steep, narrow stone circular staircase of 450 steps without a railing. Oh, God. No, it's, thank you. I'm not that brave. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's good fun for those who want to die in this beautiful creation, deciding nothing is worth seeing after this amazing uh, building. Yeah. So I chose personally to take the elevator back down after hearing what awaits me when I step out of the elevator. But the rest of my family continued on. Oh, yeah. And while the view was awesome, they said, they can also probably agree... It is not for the faint of heart. So fair warning before you book the tower tour. Yeah. One of the places our tour guide took us on was along the Carrer del Bisbee, a street in the Gothic quarter that has a beautiful neo-Gothic walking bridge spanning across a street between two buildings. Mm -hmm. The bridge was built as a way to beautify or reform the Gothic quarter at the turn of the 20th century in celebration for the Universal Exhibition. It was designed by architect Rubio I. Belver, whose design was not approved by those who were commissioning the work and many other peer architects. Belver had some enemies because he wanted to tear down all non-Gothic buildings in Barcelona as the new building designs and construction didn't match the former Gothic architecture. And he thought it was ugly. Mm, okay. It was said that he was forced to change his original design and in doing so, he was so angry that his idea was, quote unquote, murdered. He placed a skull underneath the bridge with daggers crossing it, along with a terrible curse. Wow. The most popular version known is that if anyone who crosses underneath the bridge and looks up at the skull will have terrible misfortune for the rest of their lives. Mm -mm. Uh-oh. A second legend states that Belver claimed when the two swords crossing the skull separates, Barcelona will be attacked and destroyed. Oh boy. Another version of this legend states if the swords separate, anyone who is walking across the bridge at the time will have certain death or at, at the very least bad luck. <laughs> so quite a mix of bad things to yeah, watch out for. Shit, man. He was serious. Yeah. And our tour guide said that if you do walk backwards, under the bridge while looking up at the skull, it protects you from the curse and you might even have a wish come true. So that is exactly what I did. I pointed my little camera and walked backward, you know, just in case, you know, my phone. Sure. And um, yeah. So did you make a wish? No, I probably forgot to make a wish. <laughs> I just was trying to make sure I didn't look at it while, while like running into other people as I was, you know, trying to point my phone upward. <laughs> Supposedly, it is rumored not to be a carving of a skull, but that Rubio Belver placed a real skull up there. Uh -huh. Isn't that crazy? Whose skull is it? I know. Probably some architect rival of him. Something. It's like, how dare you criticize me? <laughs> the real reasons why Rubio 
did that is still a mystery. But the whole Gothic district is pretty interesting. We were told that at one time there was a real witch school located there. Burning of witches happened and all kinds of dark dealings, including many executions held in the public squares. So very, Mm, very, very haunted. Very haunted. Yeah. There is another part to the story because so many people don't believe in curses and they do end up staring at the skull. If you go to Barcelona and you accidentally walk under the bridge and steal a look at the skull and are freaked out now because on the way back to your hotel, you stub your toe and then your wallet was snatched, then you should go to the Ardiaca house, A-R-D-I-A-C-A house, Ardiaca house, which in 1895 was the headquarters of the Lawyers Association. Hmm. Trust the lawyers to save your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it had a special mailbox created by the architect, Louis Dominic I. Montaner. Hmm. Um, Quite a name. Sounds kind of French to me. But this mailbox has carvings of a couple of swallows to symbolize the importance of speed in delivering justice. An ivy branch that explains how bureaucracy is growing and spreading through Barcelona and a turtle, which symbolizes the reality of how the actual judicial process works. Now, if you go over there and you rub the shell of the turtle, all the bad luck will be removed from the former curse of the bishop's bridge. Well, that's convenient. I love the fact that they provided a remedy for this, as (laughs) I did notice several people on our tour just blazingly going through underneath and staring for several minutes at that dang skull. (laughs) Why would you, you guys? Why would you tend to fate like that? (laughs) Clearly, they have not listened to our episode of Curses. No, they haven't. Probably wanted to ensure that it was even up there and that they didn't just spend money on a tour that's full of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and before I forget, these little streets in the Gothic Quarter are so narrow and dark. It reminds me just of like Diagon Alley and Harry Potter. Oh, it was so fantastic. It's probably where Harry Potter is. It's probably where she got Spain. some inspiration for that. <laughs> and I did mention my tour guide kind of re- reminded me of yes, Harry Potter. Yes, yeah, well. yes. Well, they even had a haunted house attraction which I didn't do, but my daughter and her husband went through and they said it was quite scary. So it was a full contact event where the ghoulies oh. reach out and touch you. They Ooh. grab your ankles. They're entirely in your face. And the entire thing is in pitch darkness. Yes. With very, very little visibility. Oh, I would love that. Well, my son-in-law did not love it. He bashed his face into a wall oh, in an no. accident because you just can't see when yeah. you're going through it. But he was okay. I mean, just just a lot of pain yeah but no nothing broken and my daughter said there was a really really awful scary demon face that will give you nightmares so there did they have to sign a waiver in case they got i think so i I think so they did yeah they probably would have had to do that yeah Yeah. so if you're brave there is that you can go through or if you prefer something to put you into a sugar coma instead of a fear coma they have these things they're churros like donut long uh churro things at Uh these cafes and they will bring it with a cup of melted rich chocolate that you then dip the churro in. Oh. And um, you can do that as like a light nighttime snack or breakfast. Great. It's awesome. That sounds really good. Because I would suggest it for breakfast because in Spain, you can't really get much breakfast food. They don't make it a big deal there like they do in America mm-hmm. where breakfast is everything. Yeah. Um, like nothing opens there before like 9 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, that concludes my ghost stories from wow, Spain. Oh, very cool. I would love to go to Spain sometime and see all these places you've been talking yeah, about. It's so much fun. Yeah. I've heard <laughs> I know my sister has been there um and had really great things to report about it too. So yeah. I know it's pretty cool. Yeah, you know. one thing I will mention is um the famous street of La Rambla, where you know you can see street performers and all kinds of, you know, interesting acts and you know, vendors with crafts and things. That has changed quite a bit. It's oh, yeah? now basically just a shopping district. Oh. Um, they've hmm. kind of banned any sort of street performers there. Why? I think it's because they were just harassing everybody walking down. It just became too much. Oh, um, too many, bad. kind of a nuisance at that point, which is too bad. I, I was really looking forward to experiencing mm. that, but yeah. we didn't really see any of that hmm. anymore. So. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, so... Oh. Some things are changing, mm, but yeah, still yeah. a good pay, good place to go. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your story. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, cool. So, Carol, I'm doing The Haunting of 1000 Lombard Street. Nice. Yeah. Where is that? So, it's in San Francisco, California. You know Love that San really Francisco. super crooked street that runs down the oh, hillside yeah. there? Yeah, this this is where this story takes place. And it's kind of crazy because I have never heard this story, but it's apparently kind of a well-known story. A book was written about it. And it seems like the type of story a movie should be made about it, but I don't know that there is a movie about it. So Ooh. hopefully somebody will someday make it into a movie because it would be quite the film. Yeah, I mean, you've got me all excited if you think it could be a movie. This should be <laughs> I, some story I would hope then. So. I would hope so. To begin with, if you're not already acquainted with Lombard Street in San Francisco, California, it is considered to be the most crooked street in the world. The curvy part of the street was built in 1922 when one of the residents who lived next to the road suggested the design of the street, which consisted of eight hairpin turns down the hill. The reason for such a design is that Lombard Street ran over a very steep hillside with a 27% grade and made it very difficult for most cars to travel upon it. So the eight hairpin turns and switchbacks allowed the cars to slowly, very slowly at five miles per hour, traverse the street to the bottom of the hill like a long winding snake reducing the steep grade the cards would have to maneuver. The street was part of Route 101 and has been featured in many movies like Vertigo and Ant-Man and the Wasp and stuff oh, like yeah. that. Um, Lombard Street receives up to 2 million visitors per year, making it one of the most iconic places in all of San Francisco. Because it is part of a major thoroughfare, the street sees about 250 cars per hour with some people having to wait at least 20 minutes to get onto oh the crooked gosh. part of the street. That is so many cars. So those, it's a lot. Those poor residents. I How know. do they get in, in and out I of their don't home? No. Could you imagine having to wait 20 minutes to get into your driveway? Jeez. I would not. Because of this, visitors or tourists are required to pay a fee and reserve a time to drive down the street <laughs> so they can keep it clear for local traffic. Seems fair to me. <laughs> The city of San Francisco. Yeah. Here's a way we can make money. <laughs> <laughs> At the bottom of Lombard Street sits a 6,600 square foot mansion. It was built in 1914 and is at least three stories tall with incredible views of the city of San Francisco and the bay beyond it. You're missing the last six. 6,000 square feet, there's, 600. I'm what? sure there's another six oh. somewhere hidden in the house. Yes. That makes it a 666. Oh, please total. find it. I know. It also houses at least three kitchens, 
12 bedrooms and multiple bathrooms and a creepy basement. It is the perfect scene for a haunting, Carol. In 1968, Patricia, or as her friends called her, Pat Montandon, which is quite the name, M-O-N-T-A-N-D-O-N, was age 39, a newspaper columnist, a local TV personality, and a socialite in San Francisco, and well known for her ability to throw fabulous parties. Oh, I like her already. (laughs) She and her good friend, Mary Louise Ward, moved into 1000 Lombard Street after Pat divorced one of her three husbands. Oh, wow. Go, Pat. Go, Pat, go. While living at the 6,600-square-foot mansion, Pat went and visited Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Pat was very, very social and liked to talk to everyone, regardless if they were in good with the Dark Lord or not. Stranger danger. (laughs) Someone needs to tell her about it. I know. While visiting with LaVey, he gave her a mystical love potion, apparently to attract a new lover. This experience influenced Pat to try a new kind of party. A few weeks later, she invited many of her friends over to her sprawling pad for a metaphysical party. Which is something that you and I would love to go to. That is so cool. It is cool. Now, Pat had always been a skeptic regarding the paranormal, but was willing to have an open mind, especially after seeing Mr. LeVay. She employed a crystal ball reader, a palm reader, an astrologer, and a tarot card reader to give psychic readings at her party. People were divided up by their astrological sign and moved from one reader to the next. However, the tarot card reader arrived at the party late. The man Pat Mm. hired to read the tarot was never named, but his physical appearance was described by SF Gate magazine as, quote, fierce, red beard, wearing a green velvet suit and adorned with plumes of feathers. Well, he sounds like a leprechaun to me. He does sound like a, or a peacock. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When the man arrived, he was not alone, but he had a small group of his own friends traveling with him. He started to set up his table and he asked Pat for a drink. Pat was going to fetch him a drink until another man, a very attractive man, caught her attention and she forgot all about the drink for her tarot reader. Husband number four, here I come, (laughs) says Pat. (laughs) Eventually, after mingling with her other guests, she returned to his table and received his sober wrath. He exploded at her. As he perceived her lack of attention to his request, a deliberate slight. I would tell him, hey, you were late. So <laughs> That's true. Stop yelling and at me. And who are all these friends you brought with yeah, you? Yeah, come on. They weren't invited. They weren't. Pat said he was, quote, quivering with rage. He directed a stream of abuse at me, end quote. She said that the tarot reader was so incensed that he packed up his table, gathered his friends, and yelled at her, I lay a curse upon you and this house. I do not forget and I do not forgive. Oh, my word. And with that, he turned on his heels and stormed out of her house, feathers and all. Weeks following her party, Pat's friends at the San Francisco Examiner told her that they received numerous anonymous phone calls trash talking her. She she even received an additional call from that tarot reader who reiterated his curse upon her and her home. Wow, definitely (laughs) not an enlightened tarot reader. Not a nice guy. No. And he wasn't kidding either because not long after that, Pat's life turned upside down. First off, her home was ransacked and burglarized with many items being taken, including a tiger-skinned rug, and her car was destroyed. Oh, gosh. Next, her house turned ice cold, even though she set the thermostat to 90 degrees. 90 degrees? Yeah. Pat and Mary Louise had to wear their winter coats to keep from freezing to death inside the house. That was awful. The house also filled up with disgusting smells. 
Every night, Pat's Lhasa Apso would wake up at 2 a.m. to bark its head off, staring at nothing in the darkness. That is so scary. He even started to gnaw at and pull out his own fur and whimper, and he never wanted to go inside that house. Pat eventually gave him away, only to learn that he fully recovered and acted completely normal after being rehomed. Every morning, Pat would wake up to the song Mockingbird Hill, even though she had no idea where the song was coming from. It wasn't like playing on a radio nope. that turned nope. on, or it was nope. just like in the air. Just a creepy song, and um, tra la la, There's peace and goodwill. You're welcome as the flowers on Mockingbird Hill. Anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so doors would be locked throughout the house from the inside of empty rooms. Pat would hear footsteps walking up and down the hallways in the dead of night. And in fact, both Pat and Mary Louise felt like there was somebody else in the mansion with them. <laughs> so they installed triple locks on several doors throughout the home. But when they woke in the morning, the locks were broken and their windows were smashed. No. Yeah. They definitely have somebody in the basement. Go they, check. Go it's check. just like your house. No. There's somebody in there, but it's so big you can never find them. Yeah. They, there's just too many hiding <laughs> places. Just by, it takes 10 no. minutes to get to each room. So by the time you get there, yeah. they're gone. Just say yes to yeah. the tiny house. You'll be safe. <laughs> they would hear screams in the house and see blood stains on the ceiling. Trying to keep up a brave face, Pat threw another party and invited over many friends. However, in the middle of this party, a fire broke out and all of her friends ran outside to escape it. No one could determine what started the fire. Then Pat went on a date with a man, but the date ended badly when the man tried to kidnap her. <laughs> no, this is not true. I know. He tries to kidnap yeah. her? He claimed he was going to take her to his cabin in Lake Tahoe. She told him that she needed to return home to pack some warm clothes. Oh, good idea. But once they got to the house, Pat ran to the front door for her life. This man ran after her, grabbed her, and started to strangle her to death on the front <laughs> steps. He Some people's idea of foreplay, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> he eventually forced the two of them inside the house, and he went into Pat's bedroom and sat down on her bed. Pat, meantime, frantically called the police. The man refused to leave until the police showed up and forced him out. So, yeah, nice. Next, Pat's new neighbors turned out to be members of a drug cartel, and they started to threaten and harass her. Pat's social life nosedived when she no longer hosted parties. She got very sick with a respiratory infection, dizziness, and headaches. She got so sick, she crawled from her bathroom to her bedroom one night and phoned her future husband, a wealthy businessman named Alfred Wilsey, <laughs> and warned him oh. she wasn't going to make it. Yes, he, we'll see. We'll see. He in turn called the police who found Pat unconscious and rushed her to the hospital. To add insult to injury, the newspapers reported that Pat had just overdosed on pills or had intentionally tried to kill herself, which is not even true. One night after being released from the hospital, Pat crawled into her bed and found a photo of herself under her pillow. However, in this photo, her face was scribbled out. Which is always a bad sign in every horror movie, right? Right. No, that's what we used to do uh, back in the day before Photoshop. You know, somebody leaves your, your life that like you're not in a relationship anymore and you like the picture of yourself you scribble or you out have your good face. memories of your camping trip, you know, just black marker. Or you over cut, the face cut them out. You cut, and then put your new boyfriend inside head yeah. next to you. Pat also discovered... Not that I've ever done any of that. It's uh, just I've sure. seen that happen with sure, other girl, uh -huh. friends. 
had also discovered strange symbols and obscene language scrawled on the walls of her foyer. Finally, on the last night she was willing to stay there, Pat saw strange faces pressed up against her windows, which were at least 15 feet off the ground, mind you. That was it. She fled and never went back to 1000 Lombard Street. Instead, Pat moved in with her soon-to-be husband, Wilsey. There was still a year lease left on the property, however, and her friend Mary Louise decided she wanted to stay. She told Pat it would be okay because they had someone moving in upstairs, so she wouldn't necessarily be alone and would make her less scared. Oh, she wasn't alone ever. No, she wasn't. (laughs) However, a few nights later, Pat had a dream that she, Pat, was in a garden. As she walked down the garden path, gray gargoyles with fiery red fingertips reached out to grab her. The nightmare woke her up. Two days later, Mary Louise was dead. No. Pat received a call at 4 a.m. on June 21st, 1969 from the San Francisco Police Department. They told her there had been a fire at her home and they needed her to identify the body of a female found there. The fire department had found Mary Louise's body face down on her bed. The fire had started in her bedroom closet and made a V-shape. Then move from the closet to the bed and back to the closet. This is so scary. It's so creepy. It's awful. It's so creepy. Her legs were burned, but her internal organs were just fine. She had small amounts of sleeping pills in her system and only one glass of wine. She had no smoke inhalation in her lungs, which meant she was dead before the fire or smoke got to her. But to this day, they have no idea what killed Mary Louise Ward. The fire inspector Mm. thought perhaps she had died of fright. Oh, yeah creepy the coroner said quote this is a very unusual case i should explain to you that we have examined mary louise ward as carefully as we know how and at great length and we cannot establish any reason for her death we do not know why she died end quote mary louise ward was only 47 years old it was very unclear what started that fire the fire department thought perhaps it was bad electrical wiring but it was never confirmed the fire inspector A man named George Lucas, no joke, (laughs) Uh, he later went on to develop films. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. Um, He was haunted by this case. He said, quote, I personally went back to that apartment on my own several times to try to solve the mystery there. In my 22 years as a member of the fire department, I've had lots of experiences of death by fire. There was something about this one that just was not right. Yes. The force was not with her. The force was not with her, but there was a force. Definitely inside that house. Dave Toshi, who was a police detective in San Francisco at the time and a hunter of the Zodiac Killer and the inspiration for the Dirty Harry movies, wrote to Pat and told her that Mary Louise's death was, quote, one of the most challenging cases in my seven years as a member of the homicide detail, end quote. To make matters even worse, Pat's cousin, Carolyn, as well as Pat's former assistant, Vera Scott, both of whom had attended the astrology party and lived in that house for brief amounts of time, died by suicide a year after Mary Louise passed away. Yes. Okay. I'm getting chills right now. This is just so crazy. It's a lot. It's a lot. The death at three of her close, healthy, and young friends prompted Pat to investigate the property and get to the bottom of what was causing the paranormal torture and possible murder she had experienced. In her research, Pat discovered that the home was built on land that had been used for public hangings and as a Russian cemetery. She also discovered that those who resided at the residence over the years had a very high rate for divorce and alcohol addiction. Some even developed strange sicknesses. In 1949, the building had been divided up into four apartments. In the time that they were used as separate apartments, 
four single women died mysteriously at the home. Okay, they just need to burn that entire home down. Burn it to the ground. Nobody should be living in that home. Especially single women. At least one of these women had died by suicide in the house. The neighbors told Pat that the day the woman died and before her body had been discovered, they heard the song, Mockingbird Hill, playing over and over and over again all day. So, wait a second. Yeah. So, they heard the same song. They did. And this is well before Pat moved into the house. So, she was hearing the song that the woman who committed suicide would have been listening to. Pat's cousin, Carolyn, who had also committed suicide yeah. the year after uh, Mary Louise died, mm-hmm. had also claimed to hear the song, Mockingbird Hill, in her head constantly before she, too, had committed suicide. Pat never told her cousin that she heard that very song playing in the house. Oh, whoa. Pat's landlord also hated the building and said the house had a, quote, hex on it. He said, quote, I had more trouble there than I've ever had in my life with any building. It was hard to unload. He wrote in a letter, quote, I was glad when I finally sold it in 1973, end quote. He received 150000 for the home, which by today's standards would be worth around 900000 Which still is nothing. nothing for a house like that. Not in San Francisco. Not for 6,600 square feet oh, with, with views of the bay mm-hmm. and on Lombard Street. It's iconic. It's crazy. Before she died, Mary Louise had told Pat that she thought that there was something in the house before the night of the party and that the tarot man's curse had just allowed it to fully unleash. Pat decided to hire two psychics to investigate the property. She sent in Jerry Patton and Nick Nusserino to investigate. They went into the home and took photos. They claimed to have captured entities in the photos and described terrible smells throughout the home. They told Pat to stay away from the house because it was not safe, but eventually it is believed that they were able to exercise the house and lift the tarot reader's curse. Now... Was there pictures anywhere of the photographs that they took? Um, Did you see anything like that? There were photos online, but I don't know if they were the actual photos. Okay. I'm not sure. Pat never did reveal the tarot card reader's identity. She eventually moved on with her life and started numerous charitable organizations and became a great activist. She was even nominated for three Nobel Peace Prizes. That was smart, Pat. Good, good job not revealing his name because, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, been worse. you escaped with your life and I would just leave it alone. Exactly. Let the, let the sleeping dog lie. She now resides in Beverly Hills and is 94 years oh. old. Pat wrote a book about her experience about this house entitled The Intruders in 1975. Never being a true believer in the supernatural, Pat said she didn't know how else to explain, quote, the evil that threatened her existence there, end quote. The home still stands despite all those fires and was sold in 2019 for around $5 million. Wow. So the moral of this story is very clear. If a tarot reader asks you for a drink when he is reading for your guests at a party, drop everything and get him a fucking drink. Otherwise, look out. Especially if he's an Irish leprechaun. (laughs) Especially. They like their their feathers. (laughs) With plumes of feathers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, Holly, do you have pictures of the house? I do. Look at this house. Look how pretty it is. Like the views. Oh, my God. But you can see some of the, um, some of it has not been remodeled. It looks like it's still 1962. Oh, my gosh gorgeous french doors and the view of the bay in the glass I love uh, it. ceilings it definitely looks like good energy it does let's where's, hope they got rid the of basement show me the basement the basement is oh wait 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 back up what? okay what is with the mustard yellow countertops right? in the kitchen one of the old school kitchens that they never uh, got around okay. to updating apparently they oh yep 
So we're oh, going to Somebody really these. likes yellow. Somebody does old mustard yellow. Yeah. And there's a kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a beautiful. Like, there's ooh. a there's a yellow bathroom. A yellow bathroom. Not mustard yellow, but more like a sunshine yellow with orange uh, mm-hmm. trim. And then the rest of these rooms are just like white with wood floors. Yeah. There's another tacky kitchen. It's like they ran out of money to remodel the whole thing. Is I mean, it's it a big damn like. house. So oh my god, the there's basement, the creepy basement. That yeah, the basement is creepy. It is creepy. It's got these like bricks, red bricks, and dark, and dark, dark wood, wood and cabinetry, piping, like an unfinished basement kind of, and then mm-hmm. like broken brick works throughout. So, but it's an incredible property. I mean, I can understand why you know someone could rent each one of those apartments out for a lot of money each mm-hmm. month. They could easily make money. But anyway, that's the story of the haunting of One Thousand Lombard Street. And if anyone wants to see it made into a movie contact away oh, i guess you can't contact anyone in hollywood they're all on strike oh yeah they are on strike so find right your now. local independent filmmaker and tell them to make it into a yeah, film support your <laughs> independent filmmaker that's right so <laughs> anyway that's all i got for you hopefully this recorded I okay loved it. okay <laughs> bye-bye bye hey there ho there <laughs> How are you? Oh, <laughs> you got your little <laughs> snaggle tooth. <laughs> I know that I had on the original recording showed you the house. The house. Let me mm-hmm. do that again so we can try to recapture your expressions. Um, ex- exactly. Shit. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com, and you may hear it on a future episode.